Here at Calvary Chapel Northeast, it's our goal to make disciples of Christ by exalting our God, equipping believers, and engaging in our community. Thanks for tuning in to this week's CCNE podcast. Today, Pastor Brendan will be teaching out of the book of Matthew. Okay, let's resume. Let's, let's dive back in here. We're in the last chapter of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 and 6. We've gone through that thus far. Here now we come to Matthew 7, and uh, it, it just continues, at least for me, to get more and more exciting as we consider here the longest recorded sermon from our Savior, Jesus. And so if you would, just pray with me as we look to his word. Father, we pause once again this morning. We thank you for the incredible time of worship and song, Lord. How, how sweet that was, Lord, and for us to be here together again, Lord, for there to be voices lifted up here in this place, in this church, Lord. It's a wonderful thing, Lord, for people to be lifting up their voices in their home, uh, Lord, as we continue to gather together virtually. Lord, we're just so grateful for the way in which uh, you allow us to connect and, and to be the body of Christ. And so, Lord, uh, we're grateful that we have your word here this morning. As we look to it now, Lord, we pray that you'd teach us, you'd instruct us, you'd bring transformation, Lord, conviction, encouragement, all the necessary work, Lord, that needs done in each of our hearts as well as in us collectively as a, as a body of believers here, Lord, we pray uh, that it would be done this morning, that you would move and work in this place, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's go ahead and read the first six verses. We'll get through verse 12 this morning. Of course, we have communion, but let's read the first six verses together. It says, Judge not that you be not judged, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged, and with the measure you use it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own? Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces." Friends, we've come uh, this morning to a passage of Scripture that has plenty of application for us today. And I believe right now it is, is so fitting for many things that we are dealing with in our culture. We are living in an incredibly polarized time. Issues of ethnic reconciliation, a, as we know, a legitimate pandemic that has clearly, though, been politicized in many ways. That's not a political statement, it's the reality of it. Uh, and with that, then, an impending election that because of the growing chasm between two primary parties in our country, there's tremendous implications that are coming up this fall. Again, not a political statement, but a reality of the, of the way in which our country is structured. Uh, there's a myriad of other issues. People are on edge. People are debating. People are protesting. People are fighting. So many things are going on. And meanwhile... Meanwhile, as Christians, we are called, as we have studied here through the Sermon on the Mount, we're called to be salt and light. We're, we're called to bring the truth of the gospel to bear on these issues. We're called to speak truth in love. As ambassadors of Christ, we're called to play a role in sharing the truth of the gospel, which, by the way, exposes and condemns sin which can be uncomfortable, right? And, and, and while also, of course, revealing as part of this work that Jesus has come to reconcile and to restore those who repent 
and believe on him for salvation. And this is an amazing work to be a part of, but it's a challenging work. And as we seek to do this work, as we seek as believers to be faithful in this work, no doubt there is a question for you oftentimes of whether people are even willing to listen and to receive such an exhortation. After all, as Jesus says here in Matthew 7, 1, judge not that you be not judged. If ever there was a popular verse amongst those who do not profess to be Christians, this is it. Many of you, whether you've said it yourself or you've heard it from another, when someone's behavior is confronted, they often, doesn't the Bible say, don't judge, or you can't judge, you can't judge me, or only God can judge me, right? You've heard all of these different versions. It's amazing you didn't know so many people were memorizing scripture, right? When you hear that. Yet as we, as we consider scripture right here, it says, judge not that you be not judged, so are they right? But yet, as we consider the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, we find verses like verse 5, where it says, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye, suggesting there is a work to be done by you on in the life of another. Or verse 6, which says, do not give what is holy to dogs, which in and of itself requires you make a judgment, does it not? Or verse 20 where it says, therefore, by their fruits you will know them. Well, how do we know if they have fruit or not? Shouldn't we judge that? Or later in Matthew, in chapter 18, verse 15, we read, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Or in the Gospel of John, in chapter 7, verse 24, where Jesus says, but judge with righteous judgment. So what gives? Well, friends, may I submit to you this morning that as Christians, we are actually called to judge. And while I know this may seem like a contradiction, we must understand that a definition of the word judge means to form an opinion or a conclusion, to decide, to determine, to consider, to assess, or to discern. Jesus actually in John 7.24 says, not just to judge with righteous judgment, but this. Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. In our world, which cries out today for justice, and rightfully so, we as Christians who are called to walk humbly, to love mercy, and to pursue justice, ought to consider, even in our own culture today, Anybody familiar with the term Lady Justice? Which is the personification of justice. It's a statue. You know, she's holding up the scales, right? And what's over her eyes? A blindfold. Because it is not to be based on assumptions formed by appearances, skewed by our own perspective and opinions, but by discernment. Discernment, I might add, that comes from the Holy Spirit. And while we are called then to be discerning, we're told also not to be hypocrites. Look at verses 3 through 5. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite! First, remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck. From your brother's eye. And so we see right there in verse 5 that we are called to play a part in the removal of the speck 
from our brother's eye. This is still part of the work. But there is something that must happen in our own life first. That would be considered, as pastor and writer Douglas O'Donnell writes, the loving art of speck removal. The loving art of speck removal. We are called to that work. Let's go back for a moment to verse 1 where it says, Judge not that you be not judged. And that's the translation that's rendered, but the fact is a more accurate translation from the original Greek manuscript would translate the, the Greek word krino to read, condemn not that you be not condemned. This reads a bit differently, doesn't it? Because when we think about our role as Christians, as we are called to make righteous judgments, or you could say righteous discernments, it is within the framework of biblical reconciliation and restoration not condemnation. Yet when we fail to put ourselves in other people's shoes, when we fail to first listen to people and to seek to understand, when we fail to really consider the human being who is made in the image of God and we instead just lump them into a category that we've made up, when we think the worst of others without knowing them, or even when we do know them, when we speak only of an individual's faults, when we judge a life based only on their lowest moments, when we look negatively on someone who is doing the same thing that we ourselves have done, we have become hypocrites. We've failed to judge with righteousness and are attempting to work in someone else's life a work that we have not yet accomplished on our own. And may I suggest to you today that generally speaking, We've become experts at that. In a COVID world marked by isolation and avoidance with others in public, anybody notice that these days? Anybody had? I know some of you have. But for the most part, do you find that when you're walking through the store, there's a whole lot of smiling and wonderful conversation going on? Or is it mask up, stay to the left, beeline down the aisle, slowly work your way around people, right? There's not a whole lot of engaging and getting to know one another. And then a people that, is that are convinced that by their average use of social media, according to a 2019 study which says it's two hours and 22 minutes a day for the average American, and might I add, I don't think it's getting any better in 2020, that we become convinced that that's communication, that this is really getting to know someone, and then even worse, people have made a routine of watching the news outlets and allowed pundits and news anchors to color your view of who others are and what they think instead of actually finding out for yourself who someone is. That Christian, you're probably guilty of judgment yourself as opposed to faithfully discerning for the sake of restoring. Pastor Eugene Park in a recent article writes this, it's a constant temptation in today's partisan world to think the absolute worst about our opponents and to assume that we can better read their motivations than they can. This is true. And this is the Pharisaic righteousness and judgment that Jesus condemns. Think about what is going on right now in our country. The political culture, which in many cases does not really even oftentimes exist within our own neighborhoods and our own communities, at least based off of what we see in the news, and what we'd be led to think about various things as we spend time on social media and elsewhere. 
and it's, it's bred uh, this, this belief that's described by author Arnold King that says, we go so far as to believe that we understand our opponents better than they understand themselves. The only person you are qualified to pronounce unreasonable is yourself. Yet, Christian, when scripture says in verses four and five, or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye and look, a plank is in your own eye? Hypocrite. The intention based off of what Jesus says to us here, is not that we stop there. Not that we go, okay, you're right, I can't deal with the speck in my brother's eye, I just got to leave it alone, I've got to just abandon this work. Or that what so often happens, we continue the work without doing anything about our own condition, but that we, as Jesus says, first remove the plank from your own eye. And then, or you could even translate it, so that you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Friends, I believe that a big part of what our world needs right now is some plank and speck removal. And it begins first with the plank that is in our own eye, as Jesus has rightly said. So the question becomes, how do we do this? Well, it's to be noted here that the speck and the plank are both made of the same substance. Do you know that? Have you ever thought about that? The little bit of wood and the big chunk of wood, it's both wood. <laughs> They're both wood. So chances are the reason that you recognize the speck in another's eye is because whether you have recognized it or not, you're quite familiar with it. It's been in your own life. You yourself have been guilty of it or are guilty of it. So if you're seeing it in another's life, evaluate it in your own first and deal with it. For example, how can I address, address the, the, the sexual sin in someone else's life if, if I'm guilty of it myself? You must recognize and repent and then with a changed life, seek to minister to another through your own experience. How much different are these two sayings? Hey, you're guilty of this and it's wrong and you need to change. Versus, hey, you know what? I've dealt with this and I was guilty of it too. And here's what God did in my life and where I'm at today, and I want to help you. That sounds different, doesn't it? That's what we're to be about. Friends, the world needs the discerning influence of Christians. But we cannot do much for this world if our own sin is preventing us from seeing clearly. And so we must begin with a searching of our own hearts. Of our own hearts first. Lord, search my heart followed by repentance in our own lives. Go back to Wednesday night. Isn't it wonderful how God continually does this? How he aligns where we're at in Scripture as we considered on Wednesday night the fall of humanity in Genesis chapter 3 and the call for us still today as the church if we want to see revival in this country that it begins with us. It begins with a willingness to allow the Lord to search our own hearts first and bring transformation here. Think back to the devotion from Rusty on, on Friday and that fits too. I mean, the Holy Spirit is moving moving upon the heart of his church to say, repent, not everybody else. It's not about looking out at the rest of the world and say, oh, you guys got it wrong. Well, guess what? As you look out at the rest of the world, as you look out at those who don't know Jesus, they don't know Jesus. Why do you expect them to act any different? But what about his church? What about the ones who do know Jesus? How are we living our lives? so that we can be salt and light in this culture. I mean, after all, as we consider judgment, let's not forget that Peter 
writes in 1 Peter 4.17 that judgment begins where? In the household of God. That's where it begins first. Now, when putting this passage into practice, some have emphasized that this is in the context of a brother. After all, Jesus says, if your brother right, has a speck in his eye, and, and, and they take that to mean that it's another believer. So that this is really about Christian accountability, not so much an exhortation to evangelism. And certainly there's application there in that. I'm not going to entirely deny that. But I think Jesus addresses this in verse 6 as he says, Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet, and turn and tear you in pieces." Jesus here is once again, within this context, encouraging discernment. He's encouraging you to make a judgment, a righteous judgment. This is not a commandment to withdraw entirely from evangelism, as in this very same sermon, as I've alluded to already, we are called to be salt and light and to let our good works be on display before men that they might glorify the Father in heaven. And so Jesus is now not suddenly turning away from this work, but calling us to be discerning. And we do see examples in Scripture where when men's hearts were hardened toward the gospel, the disciples moved on to those who would receive it. Godly correction is ultimately a pearl. It is precious. Though conviction can be painful for a moment, it's a wonderful thing. And this pearl must not be cast before swine, or translated differently, before those who are determined to reject it and not receive it. So Christians, once again, either in conversation or even on social media, use discernment and know that those who mock and reject and are hardened to the truth of the gospel, that it's okay to stop casting your pearls before them. It's okay for you to move on and to seek out others who are receptive to the truth of the gospel. Yet, here I understand that you are often burdened for a particular people group, for a particular person, for a particular individual who may continually reject the gospel over and over again. And what even of our own tendency to want to oftentimes jump into the judgment seat and dole out opinions and and, and how do we exercise discernment in those situations? How do we know when it's time for us to move on? How do we know when it's time for us to communicate with one person but, but not another? Well, we pray. We pray. This is the practice of prayer. And it's why I believe Jesus moves into the topic of prayer again immediately following this. He's calling us to godly discernment, to be able to make a judgment. Well, how do we do that? Well, we need to seek Him through the power of prayer. As Jesus says in verse 7, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, it will be opened. Jesus here returns to the topic of prayer, and he exhorts us to ask, seek, and knock. Like the widow that's spoken of in Luke 18, we are to be persistent in our prayers. You know that story for the sake of time. I won't go there, but in Luke 18, this widow is persistent. Now, she's persistent in going before an earthly judge who's not a good judge. The judge in that story is not to be compared with God. It's an earthly judge who just simply says, this woman's driving me crazy. She won't stop 
She keeps coming to me over and over and over again. I'm just going to go ahead and give her what she wants. And there Jesus says, look, look at her persistence. And the wonderful thing for us is that we can go, that's a bad judge. What about a good judge who cares about us? If we're persistent in going to him and that's consistent with what we read here. Prayer is how we communicate our need for and dependency on God. And this is what God desires of us. Church, I fear that we are so weak in prayer today. As I know and and see it even in my own life. I'm not speaking here from a place of judgment, but a place of allowing the Lord to search my own heart and to know how often I fail in prayer. Yet we've been told to seek and we've been given access to the God of the universe. Yet we fail so often to pray. Do you realize that prayer is really one of the greatest invitations in the history of the world? That if you truly have a faith where you believe in God and you believe on Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, that you say, yes, he's real and Jesus is real, then the fact is you've been invited to regularly converse with the creator of the universe, the one who made you and knows all things and is all powerful and is all present, is all knowing, has said, come and talk to me. Come before my throne of grace in your time of need, boldly. Yet we fail to do it. Do you think that perhaps there is an enemy who delights in distracting us and keeping us from taking advantage of prayer? I mean, consider the invitation. Jesus says, ask, followed by a promise that you will receive. Now, does this mean anything? Is Jesus here saying you can ask for whatever you want and you'll get it? And be careful. We must consider all of Scripture, right? And so the answer to that question would be no. After all, consider James chapter 4, verse 3, where we're told that we don't have because we don't ask for the right things. We ask amiss. Because note what Jesus says here. He says that the Father gives good things. And the fact is we don't always ask for things that are good and right. But God in his perfect wisdom knows what we need. And that's the wonderful promise that we have here as well, is that he only gives good things. And so we can trust him in that. And we can even trust that when there's difficulties in our life, that God, you're working. God, you're good. God, you're still moving. God, you will work all things together for good. Furthermore, he tells us to seek. Seek what, you might ask. Well, it wasn't long before this that he told us to seek him and his presence and his righteousness and his kingdom. Over and over again throughout Scripture, that's what we're told, that we would seek after him. Psalm 27, verse 8. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Psalm 34.10, the young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Psalm 105.4, seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his presence continually. Psalm 119.2, blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. And with that, then, Jesus reminds us of the character of our Father as he says in verse 9 and following, or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Notice here how effortlessly and matter-of-factly Jesus calls his disciples and by implication us evil. Did you pick up on that? How he says there in verse 11, if if you then being evil, right? 
And they received that. They understood that because it's amazing here that the cross of Christ is on display as he says you're evil, but you're children of God. It speaks there even in this verse to the restoration that's happening. Yet recognizing that we are not perfect, that we are in fact evil because of sin, that even still we know how to give good gifts to our children. And that we are children of God and we have a good and perfect Father who wants to give us good things. We must simply ask. And when we ask in accordance with His will, because we're abiding in Him, pursuing Him and spending time in His presence, we can be confident that He will answer. And when we do, as Jesus stated before, all these things will be added unto us exactly what we need to be the influence that this world needs. And what is it truly that we need as believers in this world? Well, in Luke's Gospel, he records Jesus as saying this regarding our asking, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Now, whether the Holy Spirit is in view for Matthew, Luke rightly captures here a necessary need for each of us in this work, and that's the power of the Holy Spirit. And our need to seek it in our own lives through prayer, for ultimately, we are to be about changing the world. Ambassadors of Christ. Ministers of reconciliation. And so this is where I believe Jesus aptly sums much of this work up in what we know of as the golden rule. As he says there in verse 12, Therefore, therefore, because of this, therefore, because you are called to, be, to righteously judge, to make discernment through the Holy Spirit, to, to do a work in your brother's life because you first allowed the Lord to do a work in your own life. And because if you have desired to do this work, to be faithful in what I've called you to, you've allowed the Holy Spirit to call you, to direct you, to indwell you, to fall upon you, to strengthen you, because you've done that, therefore, because of these things, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Can you imagine that the very statement that, that many of us saw in our own elementary schools, not only this statement, but we also had one that says warm fuzzies are better than cold pricklies. I can remember that one, and the pricklies were like icicles and stuff. And you'd see it every day coming, and it's still ingrained in my mind. That was kindergarten. The principle's still there. Can you imagine if we put this into practice today? This goes, this goes right back to what Rusty was sharing on Friday. Can you imagine if everywhere we went, we had at the top of our mind, whatever I want people to do to me, I'm going to do that to them. What if a wave swept our nation and people began treating each other differently? What if we stopped judging based on appearances and we stopped condemning and we began treating each other with respect and love and understanding? And the fact is, these are the things that I mentioned that many people say, yeah, that's a sign in an elementary school. These are the things that today seem to people to be so lofty, so Pollyannish, so unrealistic. But why? Christian, may I submit to you this morning that maybe it starts with us. Maybe it starts with us in our community in this time. We're about to take communion. This is an incredibly important time. This is a treasured time where we get to partake of the Lord's Supper, where we get the opportunity to reflect on what he has done for us, looking back to his sacrifice, looking inward on our own hearts, 
and where we're at today and looking forward to his return. An anxious anticipation, but knowing between this time and then that, Lord, you've called me to something. This is what we get to do during this time as we hold the wafer which represents his body and we they hold the cup of the juice which represents his blood and we, and we, as I have often shared before, we reflect on the fact that someone died for me to change me and to restore me, to make a way for me to have a right relationship with God. And he's called us to be ministers of reconciliation in this world today. And so this is a time for us to reflect on our own hearts so that also we take communion with pure hearts and a right standing before him, reconciled to him. And so I would like for us to reflect on whether any hypocrisy exists in our own hearts and whether we are giving ourselves to the work of prayer, knowing that this world needs you right now and the work of the Holy Spirit in and through you. So let me first pray for us. Father God, we give you thanks, Lord, for our time in your word this morning, Lord. Such pointed truth that is intended, Lord, to bring a necessary transformation, Lord, in our lives, in our hearts, and in our minds. And Lord, today, uh, while this has certainly, Lord, been applicable all throughout history because your word, Lord, is timeless, it's relevant for every age, Lord, we are in a time in our country, Lord, in our community, and perhaps even in our own families and homes, Lord, where we need to put this into practice. Lord, where we need to begin to make righteous discernments, righteous judgments, Lord, but those that are based on the power of your Holy Spirit in our lives. That you would, Lord, give us eyes to see like you see and ears to hear like you hear. That we would care enough about our brothers and sisters, Lord, to listen, to understand, to get to know, that we would be a people called by you, Lord Jesus, that could bring peace into places of, of violence and destruction, that we could bring light into darkness, that we would be ambassadors of Christ, that we would be ministers of reconciliation that you call us to be, Lord. And so, Father, I pray for each of these here this morning that, once again, if there's believers here, Lord, that need to allow you to do a work in their hearts, that that work would take place here this morning. Just through an act of surrender, a willingness to say, Lord, I know there's this issue in my life. I know there's hypocrisy, Lord, in my heart. I repent of it, Lord, and I ask your forgiveness, and I pray, Lord, just bring a change in my life, Lord. Or maybe there's some here this morning who have yet to even surrender their life to Christ or those watching online, but because your spirit has been drawing them under repentance, that today would be that day where you would just simply say, Lord Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I repent of my sins and I ask forgiveness and I believe on you as my Savior. I invite you into my life, Lord. I want to live my life for you, no longer for this world. Just tell the Lord that. Cry out to him and pray here this morning and make perhaps today the first time you've taken communion as a child of God. And so, Lord, do this work in our hearts and encourage us, Lord, and do a necessary work, Lord, for this time in our country, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Here at CCNE, there are so many events happening throughout the week, so make sure you're subscribed to the weekly e-bulletin so you can be fully informed of all that we're doing. For more info, or if there are any prayer requests you'd like to share with us, be sure to visit us at ccnortheast.org.